I see, I see not just a rock, but I, I, I wonder about how it got there and it suddenly becomes interconnected with all of these other geologic and biological forces that um, in being a human, I'm, I'm also a part of. And so there's something about acknowledging um, those shared influences um, and acknowledging that I have impact on on something like a rock and mm -hmm. and it has impact on me that I think opens up a space that we currently call an empathic space. I'm curious what else it could emerge into or what else it could be called, but I think ultimately it's it's some kind of felt sense and acknowledgement of of interconnection of of impact. That was movement artist and researcher Tyler Ray who is one-third of the research collective Erratics, a curatorial group that creates art that explores geologic phenomena and the effects of human impact on the environment. The other two members of Erratics are Nina Elder, who is an artist and researcher, and Hannah Perrine Mode, who is an interdisciplinary artist and educator. In part one of this four-part series, we meet Tyler, Nina, and Hannah, and they explain the origins of Erratics their work within the collective, and what unifies that work. The intention of the following conversation, as well as the three that follow, will be to reveal the concepts and ecologies that are foundational to a broad group of artists who are responding to geology, change, and human action. So here they are, Tyler Ray, Nina Elder, and Hannah Perrine Mode. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum, dedicated to exploring Alaska's identity through the creative and critical thinking of ideas, past, present, and, and future. future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. I think we all have been working around the idea of glacial erratics in our own ways for some time. And um, just so the audience knows what a glacial erratic is, is the boulders and gravel and pebbles and geologic material that are carried by glaciers. And then they are plopped down when the glacier melts. So they kind of are evidence of where the glacier has traveled, where it's been um, and what it's carried within it. And I think, for all three of us, I can't speak for all of us, but I think what draws us together is that we see just so many complex metaphors in that, um, that we're all on journeys. We all are aware that we are carrying things. Sometimes you have to come to a termination point to understand what you're carrying within yourself. Um, so there's just a lot of really potent metaphors within that. Mm -hmm. So what are things that we can learn from in the natural world, who can our teachers be to help us understand transformation, loss, and resiliency? So um, I think it's just a very potent topic. And part of what inspired us to start working together was that we're seeing a lot of artists working from a point of geologic empathy, where they're really trying to explore these feelings and these vast treasure troves of metaphor within geologic spaces. I would like to add to that too, that I think one thing we talk a lot about um, as a collective called erratics is the idea of um, what we are able to each kind of pick up and carry, like in the same way that a glacier, as Nita mentioned, kind of picks up material as it kind of cuts its course and flows um, through a landscape, it picks up things and brings it and then deposits it elsewhere. And, you know, those materials might be like a boulder the size of a car or a pebble that you can hold in your hand. And I think there's sort of a confluence of information, perspectives, uh, stories, materials that we are each, I'm personally working with and exploring as artists and also interested in kind of tapping into the stories of others and the ways that others are working 
to collaboratively um, kind of bring some of those things together and assemble them maybe in a new way that we hadn't thought of before and create these connections between others as well. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to the three of us working together to kind of carry our own perspectives and um, bring those together uh, in the ways that we work. And just to add to that too, I think there's something about sort of acknowledging the limitations of of what we can do as singular artists, acknowledging that we're not singular and acknowledging that we're in community with so many others that are asking questions. Um, and there's something about the way that a glacier is also this accumulation of, of individual snowflakes that I feel is really potent too in that we're we're sort of acknowledging the the potency of the accumulation um, of the collective that we're we're seeing emerge and wanting to identify more clearly. So, what made each of you want to work on the collective? So, I'm an artist and educator, and um, I think the way that I first got connected with just glacial landscapes in general um, was that I, I kind of started doing a lot of work thinking about kind of local place and the way that we relate to um, and tell stories about the place that we live and the places that we experience in the natural world around us and how that informs our own kind of stories and communities and connection to one another. And that led me to do some projects in these places that I, I felt like very deeply connected to just on sort of a visceral physical level that at first I sort of thought that maybe I was exploring kind of these ideas of the ways that human can humans construct place and draw maps and and tell stories about sort of maybe geographical place um, and then I had this kind of light bulb moment where I realized that all those places what they had in common where they were these very dynamic and transformative geologic places. And so mm -hmm. it, it kind of shifted my whole thinking, um, especially as someone who didn't have, um, I always, you know, I always thought I was like a bad science student, but it turned out I just like didn't have a great foothold into connecting with the material. And I think partly because I found the idea of geologic time and, you know, tectonic plates and rock formations just so abstract that I, I just couldn't latch on. But that creating that personal connection and kind of realizing my own sort of geologic empathy or, or sort of emotional attachment in response uh, really made me excited about exploring that further and led to me um, getting to work in many different kinds of glacial landscapes, um, including with the Juneau Icefield Research Program in Southeast Alaska for um, the past four years. But through that work, and by kind of teaching uh, art and abstract art as a means for science communication and creating my own art practice sort of built around the idea of scaling these kind of earth systems and geology down to be able to connect with it better and be able to create platforms for other people to do that. I started feeling a little bit lonely in the space because um, it is a little bit of a different method to science communication. and. Um, it's been really wonderful to connect with Tyler and Nina to be able to find, um, and also just partly there were so many other artists kind of working in this myriad of ways, exploring all these different dimensions of the ways that art and science overlap. And so it, it just sort of organically happened that we, we started working together. Um, but it's been such a, such a, jo a joy, I think, to be able to, explore that um, collaboratively and as a team and then use that sort of jumping off point to connect to others as well, working in the same space. Mm -hmm. You know, what's interesting that you just said is geologic empathy. And I think that, at least to me, it's interesting because you're assigning emotion to what some may think are inanimate objects. Could you maybe explain that idea of geologic empathy? I'll let Tyler or Nina take this one. Yeah, I think for me, 
when I am in a landscape and I am <laughs> feeling my body and feeling sensations being in space and sharing space with things like rocks or or other more than human bodies um I see I see not just a rock but I I I wonder about how it got there and it suddenly becomes interconnected with all of these other geologic and biological forces that um in being a human I'm I'm also a part of and so there's something about acknowledging um those shared influences um, and acknowledging that I have impact on on something like a rock and mm -hmm. and it has impact on me that I think opens up a space that we currently call an empathic space. I'm curious what else it could emerge into or what else it could be called, but I think ultimately it's it's some kind of felt sense and acknowledgement of of interconnection of of impact and I think as a movement artist that's sort of where my attention goes and where my curiosity lies in terms of again how how forces that are so large and also so minute how we are shaped by them and how we engage and interact with them in our bodies and so that's sort of what I think geologic empathy evokes for for me in an interaction. Mm -hmm. I think earlier in my career as an artist, I was making projects about like pit mines and strip mines and mm -hmm. nuclear test rains and these sites where it was so easy to see the devastation that humans had caused in a natural landscape. And then the more work I started doing with that, I started realizing the materials of my daily life are being mined and that I inherently have a geologic based life because all of us do. And then I started hanging out with the glaciers. I had this incredible resonance with it because a glacier is like pulverizing everything in its path mm -hmm. and it's very destructive, but at the same time, it's creating a new landscape. And so for me, it was like this incredible metaphor for humanity of the simultaneous destruction and creation that every single one of our actions have. And I just decided, I mean, I guess I didn't really decide. I felt that I had met my teacher. I had felt that I had met my guide and that if I could open myself up to those complexities that I would not be so, so confused about, you know, how to be an environmentalist and how to, you know, be a human that has to consume things and how to be an artist. Um, and then meeting Tyler and Hannah, who were working in similar veins about not how we, how can we communicate for the earth, but how can we learn from and maybe translate or amplify what we can learn from these earth processes was just so exciting. I'd also like to add on to that, that it's funny, Nina, hearing you talk about a glacier as sort of like almost like this destroyer or um, like a thing that's, yeah, as you said, pulverizing everything in its path because it is and it. It's carving through valleys and it's creating these new landscapes. But it's also a thing that I think about is it, it almost sort of breathes, right? Like every year it is, it's a, it's a very dynamic entity and every year it is, I mean, you know, ideally every year it's advancing and retreating. And, you know, right now a lot of glaciers are retreating way more than um, we would like them to be. But, you know, there is this kind of breath to it um, and sort of a movement. And I, I really connect to that too. There's like a gentleness or sort of a, a cycle to that that I think can be, I mean, it's not human, but we can we can connect to it in ways that evoke our own human emotions or our own human passages of time, like thinking about how to connect with those time scales and perhaps scale down some of those bigger geologic systems to connect to them on a human level, I think is 
really helpful in the way that we understand our current climate crisis and how we might move forward collectively and maybe in a more generative and sustainable, holistic way Mm -hmm. um, as communities. Because I think about geologic empathy as also something that's incredibly important in um, helping people understand why they might care about this kind of thing. Because, you know, climate change is affecting all of us and often the most marginalized populations. But in order to get sort of everyone to care, we have to really think about uh, how, like maybe getting people to feel something as well, not just like oftentimes scientific studies can feel really hard to connect to or or intimidating. And maybe just, I think, opening up the way that we interpret information or share stories about these um, these places and these forces uh, can only help us move forward um, collectively. To that end, I want to give Tyler a shout out because Hannah has spent a ton of time on glaciers. She really understands them. I've spent some time around glaciers. But Tyler started making work about glacial processes having never seen a living active glacier. And I think that that's such an incredible act of curiosity and embodiment and generosity that artists are gifted with. They don't have to be an expert, but they can, but they have an imagination. And I just revel in that about Tyler. I think that's pretty fascinating. (laughs) Thanks, Nina. And I think what sort of sparked my inquiry was actually Nina's writing on glacial erratics, which sort of prompted me to look around at the time I was creating dance work in what's currently called New York City. And New York City and Long Island, I found out later, were the terminal moraine or the final advance point of the Laurentide ice sheet. And I started researching Laurentide and realized that so many of the landscapes that I love primarily in New England were intimately and intricately shaped by glacial forces and by the movement of ice. And so, yeah, it's a little bit (laughs) of a different orientation than Hannah and Nina, um, because I still haven't met a glacier, but I could I could feel and acknowledge that um, what was sort of left in this, the wake of this ice sheet um, filled me and nourished me so much. And I remember walking through New York, having read about how Laurentide was two miles thick of ice. And I would just sort of look at the skyline of New York at these really tall skyscrapers and imagine that there would be ice, like still stories and stories high above those buildings. and. Yeah, that kind of active imagination and curiosity um, is so is so nourished in community too. And so I think working with Hannah and Nina has only sort of like grounded and and amplified that curiosity even more. I would like to sort of point out too, like when we're talking about the field of science um, and specifically like thinking about field work and earth science and geology um, or geoscience, like a lot of the history of that field is rooted in um, colonialization and extraction. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing we're all really interested in doing with erratics and just as artists in general is finding maybe like thinking about how we can create, um, we can sort of open up that field a bit more to include a more diverse range of voices, um, including, you know, not just necessarily who is doing the research, but who, um, what types of knowledge production we're validating Mm -hmm. um, and valuing, you know, thinking about indigenous knowledge that might be kind of has been for a long time mirroring um, geologic study, but maybe not being recognized in the same way or, you know, thinking about artistic expression or um, maybe like different types of emotional responses um, as also a valid type of storytelling and information to lift up and share also about these places or about these um, geologic forces and the science behind it. Um, and, And, you know, not just how all of these 
people and stories and information and perspectives can kind of create a constellation and and all be living sort of side by side um, to help us better understand each other and understand the world around us. Um, I think is really important and it's never been more important. And um, for me, I like I find myself in the most sort of wonder and awe and I've never felt more connected to the world around me. I've never felt more small. I've never felt kind of more alive and then the time is when I've been surrounded by glacial landscapes. And, you know, I think we're all just interested in, in ways of connecting to each other and the world around us. And this is, for me, one way that I'm able to do it um, through my own sort of practice and also the ways that I engage with others and, you know, collaborate with Nina and Tyler, how I kind of create exchange um, between art and science and, and also just, yeah, am able to experience these places that I find so incredible. I kind of want to piggyback on that, if that's okay, and say that I think when people think about retreating glaciers, there's this sense of that they've almost been like co-opted as symbols of climate change, that they've become a measuring stick of climate change. And I think that all of us are coming from this place where instead of saying like, we're coming to this death knell of glaciers that instead we're actually saying like, if we can learn from all of the cycles that have created these things in the past, we might be able to see some of the cycles that we will continue through into the future. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's a really scientific way of being. Um, but then I talk to certain other people about that perspective and they call that spirituality. And so for me, it's a really interesting triangulation that happens when we're talking about decentering our current time period that is really quite urgent in so many fields right now. So I'm curious about it. And I love how every single person I speak with has a different entry point into that triangle. Yeah, you know, I think that that's probably a huge benefit of a collective is that you have so many different minds and like it's very accessible having that collective because there are so many entry points we have a sensation that extends very far beyond the three of us mm -hmm. um we originally came together thinking about ourselves as researchers not necessarily artists that we were we were all experiencing so many different people that we're having these tendrils going out into the world, you know, through glacial science, through geologically inspired creative practices, all these things, but we saw them as connected and that we wanted to help coalesce that. So like how Hannah was describing a glacier as a thing that collects, that's really what we're doing. Um, I think it's really exciting to view ourselves as researchers because then we can um, help build platforms and amplification for other artists that, or scientists or spiritual practitioners or whoever that maybe don't get invited into these collective spaces as often. Mm -hmm. And how did you all start working together? I was sent Nina's writing, I think I mentioned on erratics. What publication was that in Nina? It was in Edge Effects, I think. It's called Edge Effects, which is a hybrid journal coming out of the University of Wisconsin between science and humanities. Yeah, and I was sent this and was working actively with Nina's text in the dance studio um, and just became a fan. I really just became a fan of Nina Elder and then um, through a mutual friend was connected to Hannah since at that time it was known that I was sort of working in this glacial research area and um, this friend had uh, lived with Hannah at one point in Oakland, California. And um, so I sort of cold called Hannah one day <laughs> and introduced myself and mentioned Nina's work. And in that conversation, Hannah then mentioned Nina was sort of a mentor of Hannah's. And so there was already this thread of connection and um, 
yeah and then at a certain point i sent nina an email and we had a phone call and and it began <laughs> um yeah so that's again just being a fan and being curious kind of led to that <laughs> it's totally worth noting that we were doing this for over a year having never met each other and then Tyler and Hannah were able to meet. And then I was able to meet Tyler. But I still have not met Hannah face to face. So we really are a product of um, the times we're in and that we can build very nourishing long distance relationships and feel kindred over great distances. I just want to add too that um, I think I mentioned this earlier, but like at the time that Tyler reached out to me and and sort of one reason that I, I sort of kind of like latched on to Nina and sort of decided that she was going to be someone that I thought of as a mentor. Mm -hmm. um, again, you know, I think we all have been really aware of many different um, artists and, and people working in sort of this, all these different perspectives, exploring kind of the border between art and science. But um, as an artist working a lot in science spaces, I always felt like maybe I was a little too too arty or too kind of like conceptual um, about it. And then when I was working in just purely art spaces, I always felt a little too sciencey about it. Um, and uh, at the time kind of meeting and starting to work more with Nina and Tyler, it was just like this amazing gift of really feeling this like kindred creative energy. Um, and, and I also think it's each of us works very differently in our own practice as artists. Like we each kind of explore different realms of where this overlap is happening between our own practice and scientific study and geology. And um, we all work in kind of different mediums and sort of with different areas of research. And um, it was it really does feel like this incredible sort of constellation of knowledge that we started to form. and. And I think just it gave us all this wonderful kind of camaraderie um, working in the space. And, and that just definitely feels like it builds as we continue to reach out to other artists and then um, start to build. But, you know, we've been working together now since the fall of 2019. There was a nice kind of slowness to the way that we began as well. Like, I think we really started our collaboration as just a series of rambling like lovely conversations about what we were all interested in and sort of supporting one another and you know I think there's occasionally this feeling of that none of us is interested in um, like competition or or feeling like there's like in the art world or in other fields and mm -hmm. it was just this wonderful moment of of really feeling support and um you know, the sort of generative relationship um, of support. I think part of it for me, this is a little bit off topic, but like one of the erratics that I carry within me is like a deep seated depression from working with climate science and with the study of extinction and some of the science that I've been working with. And it's, there's something that lifts me up in working collectively that's, that makes me feel like I'm not alone in that space. Mm -hmm. um, I've never really felt isolated, but I have felt devastated. And it's interesting that, that the work together and the interdisciplinarity of it um, has done so much for me emotionally that I feel like I can continue doing the work. And so many of the scientists I hang out with they don't have that emotional space to process with one another. And I hope that they start seeing art responding to and illustrating and engaging what they do and that it decreases some of that incredible heaviness that I believe almost every climate scientist is having to bear up with right now. We've talked a lot about reciprocity between the three of us, but I also see these kind of ripple outs for that reciprocity that I hope will continue and continue. Does anyone have a story of support or maybe something that really surprised you about the other person? I think I'm constantly surprised by these two and, and they help me be surprised sometimes by myself. Um, but I think even in just putting together certain 
proposals or in going towards opportunities together and writing grants together it's like everyone's um skill set can come out in a different way and like we we applied to this one fellowship and hannah created this incredibly beautiful fellowship proposal like pdf and it sounds very small but actually like being able to see how we each um share our resources and share our experiences for this collective constellation has been mm -hmm. incredibly inspiring and feels like a huge source of support because with that comes the realization for me of like oh i, I don't have to do everything <laughs> i don't have to do everything and um there's a there's an ease that that happens when we can just be responsive to each other, like what the others are bringing. And I think that that's really important and a source of immense support and, and resilience too. Yeah, I think, um, thank you, Tyler. I feel the same way. I think additionally, um, the fields, like this sort of permeable, porous, border, maybe not even a border, just this veil, perhaps, between um, the realms of maybe conceptual, abstract, you know, art making um, and, and thought, whether that's like music or dance or visual art or, you know, creating experiences for others, like that side of the coin versus like the more scientific sort of research side of the coin there's so many people working kind of at the edge of these two places, but there's not necessarily like a, a map of how you create a career doing this kind of thing. And I will say that is actually one reason why I really gravitated towards Nina um, when we met, maybe, I don't even know, in 2018, because it was the first person that I had met who was sort of coming from this similar art background and had created a career for herself and found these resources and kind of figured out how to cobble that together through, you know, finding funding and like a whole slew of different avenues um, to support her, her research and her practice and the way that she worked. And I, it was sort of the first time I had seen that. And when I talk about sort of a loneliness um, working in this way, I think it is, it's also just can be a little daunting because there, there is no, um, there's no PhD in this or like there's no um there's no kind of like track and I think that's very true just with art in general there's not really like a way that you know you have to go forward or like a certain job that you have to have but mm -hmm. finding finding this this sort of kindred support and um being able to then sort of move forward together and then also be sort of creating this incredible like web or sort of woven threads of other people working similarly has for me just been this really buoyant um kind of wonderful part of my life the past few years like really yeah being able to find my own place within that like not just within our constellation but within these larger um webs of people and um thought and um kind of paths into this work. Okay, so this is part one of a four-part series where each of you will talk to other artists about a topic that unifies their work. And Nina, I liked what you said in one of your emails, which was that you, Hannah, and Tyler will be approaching this opportunity as curators, researchers, and amplifiers of diverse voices. Could 
each of you share your connection to the theme of the conversation you're leading? Sure. Um, so I'm leading the conversation on mutations, kin, and hybrid bodies. And so I come in with a couple different orientations. Um, certainly the theme of mutation, mutation as a metaphor, mutation as a process of adapting, adapting intelligences, um, I feel like has been really poignant in terms of what we've been witnessing with the pandemic and mm -hmm. and seeing how a virus learns, <laughs> learns and changes and how as artists, um, we also are sort of constantly integrating new information in our works and and from research and like what that process is for each of us and um, how it shapes certain approaches to to futures to a multiplicity of futures so um, that's one thing and I think also the kinship and hybrid bodies feels really related to my dance practice honestly in in terms of feel like being in a space of porousness and permeability when I'm choosing to open up all of my senses to an environment and to to communicate through movement with an environment and so sort of instinctively there's this there's this <laughs> maybe idea or or feeling that my body can like extend beyond itself or or I can let aspects of an environment into my body through imagery or sensation so it's really also about acknowledging that that permeability and and asking what happens when we feel deep belonging or deep care uh, with other aspects of an environment how it, they can reflect other parts of ourselves so I think ultimately is a lot about relationship and change and and again that process of integrating integrating information integrating um what happens when multiple forces of knowledge are together in a space um so that's sort of where where i'm coming from and all of that and i'm really excited to ask other artists how those themes live in in their works and in their processes I'll go next. Um, so what I'm going to be inviting some artists to speak with me about is ghosts, reliquaries, and memory. And I think when we talk about kind of being haunted, it allows the present to hold the past and also to extend into the future. I think I described this a little bit before, but that's what really has drawn me to understanding deep time and geology is that it allows us as humans to understand what came before us and how that might hybridize in the future. And it doesn't, it kind of takes all of the punctuation out of it. If we're saying that these different time frames can blur and influence each other then it creates a really exciting space, I think, to start addressing things like social injustices and environmental injustices, um, to start looking at things as evolutionary rather than coming to dead stops. Um, so I'm excited about that. And for me, glaciers are just incredible um, reliquaries. Mm -hmm. We look at these ice core samples and that you can drill down and you can understand what was in the air blowing around thousands of years ago, whether it was um, dryest pollen or mastodon anthrax. And what responsibility do we have when we start to unearth those memories? And especially with the, Hannah and Tyler are probably tired of hearing me talk about mastodon anthrax, but when they realized that that was to come out of Greenlandic glaciers, there was this moment of like, oh, this is something that will haunt us again. And what do we do with that? And how the scientists, you know, prepared for unleashing something from a glacier. 
So I'm really excited to talk to artists who are looking at place as repositories of memory, who are looking at culture as things that carries things forward intact and you know the creative ways in which that we allow things to live beyond their temporal body so i think it's going to be really fascinating and i think it'll be a part of what we're doing is introducing artists that don't necessarily know each other so i think it'll be a really interesting new constellation of people really quick nina yeah you mentioned us being haunted by our past. What do you think we're haunted by? I feel very haunted every time I drive a car and I understand that I'm implicated in in the oil and gas industry and then I'm burning it and releasing it into the atmosphere. Then I breathe that into my lungs or I'm you know, more exposed to gamma rays from outer space because of that burning. So there's this long cycle that I view as the haunting that I really think artists are doing an amazing job of showing those connections in accessible ways. I know that climate science is trying to show that to us, but sometimes it's so much more easily done through storytelling or through a poetic entry or by allowing the bizarreness of it to show itself. Like our interaction with deep time is really wacky when we think about it. In what way? Um, that our entire economy is dependent on rotten dinosaurs that we pump out of the ground and then we incinerate. I mean, that just sounds like witchcraft woo woo weird stuff but that's it does yeah but when you actually think about it that's what we're doing or that we're pinging our communication off satellites that are orbiting the earth i mean we're already in sci-fi times and we're also in the weirdest of times so mm -hmm. i think artists are the ones that are going to tell that story best um okay i can jump in um i think that was a really good segue um because I'm going to be leading the discussion on futurism and hope. Um, so just in the ways that we can sort of draw from our own personal relationship or the stories of deep time or the geologic forces of the past that have um, informed our, our present moment and our sort of life today, and just in the way that Tyler sort of touching on with uh, her theme about sort of mutations and kin and hybrid bodies and the way that we sort of relate to one another and what we can learn by sort of this multiplicity of and sort of kinship with other people in the world around us. Mm -hmm. um, there's also this sort of multitude of knowledge threads that can be woven together to think about what are the stories that we're going to tell or like what is our future going to look like? Um, how do we tell the story of the future and what we want the future to be, um, especially when we are thinking about community and land. So personally, like as an educator and as an artist, I'm always trying to like open up that field more so that more knowledge threads can um, be woven into uh, the conversations about what, not just like the types of knowledge that we're valuing about the past or the present, but like what we want our future to look like and kind of to create, um, you know, I think this gets, this term gets thrown around, but I really do think like when we want to think about our future or climate science or social justice being more intersectional to include more voices um, or more types of thinking. And I just think that even just making the time to like imagine what these future stories might look like is a kind of hope like just that practice of imagining the future might be hope um, and I personally feel a lot of hope when I'm working with people um, especially working with young scientists um, who are studying glaciers or where I'm able to create these experiences for exchange or finding geologic empathy um, 
you know, helping others to do that or doing it when I'm making art. And I think, uh, like, when we find this sort of permeable border or we find this exchange between these, um, these fields when we're thinking about, like, what we want our future to look like or what it might look like, that using sort of this empathic side of ourselves to do so will just only open us up to um, more sustainable and maybe a better future for us and that this kind of exercise of imagining it can be an exercise of generosity and hope uh, for ourselves and and one another. Um, I also think, you know, we need scientific models to tell us like what this trajectory might be, but they can't tell us what it will feel like. And um, we need to find maybe some more generative methods for storytelling, thinking about, you know, past, present and the future. Um, on a personal level, like I also just love uh, reading science fiction and speculative fiction and visionary fiction and mm-hmm. like Afrofuturism. And um, I, I've always loved um, reading Octavia Butler and Ursula Le Guin. And um, I think just thinking and approaching the way that we consider the future and consider the scientific models or these kind of like physical climate models with with many different types of perspectives, like unless we imagine it, we can't get there. Like we, the only ways that we can build something better is to to feel and to imagine and to collaborate. Um, and so I think I'm really excited to talk to some other artists about like what the stories for the future are that they might like to see or how those stories might be created differently than some of the ones that we're being told at the moment or how our society could shift for the better. And I think, yeah, just by thinking and imagining uh, and maybe lifting up some other different perspectives about what that future might look like, that is this wonderful opportunity for, for hope and exchange in our present as well. Hannah, when you imagine the future, what does it look like? I think maybe instead of telling you like what it will look like when I walk out my door, what I would like to see is I would like to see a more just future, the ability for more people to contribute to conversations about what it will look like, Um, you know, multitudes of space for imagination and creative thinking and, you know, more overlap between fields of study you know, maybe like a more thoughtful and generous way of relating to the land around us that's also more sustainable. Um, I hope that we um, are, you know, obviously like adopting much of the um, sustainability and sort of response to climate change that needs to happen in order for us to adjust our course uh, to avoid, you know, as much disaster as we might be able to. And, and also, yeah, just, I'd like to think about how to, like, I don't think I can be the one to, to say, but I would like, I would like to have more and more voices uh, able to help us imagine what it might look like. Mm-hmm. Nina, when you imagine the future, what does it look like? Oh, I feel like you probably don't want to ask me that. I'm sort of a doomsday sayer. <laughs> um, I've spent a lot of time studying fire-prone forests where they are in the extreme state of competition for their resources. And seeing what that does makes me really afraid for the future of this planet because I believe that humans have pushed up against the edge of what the planet is capable of. Um, After hearing Hannah's beautiful, gracious, hopeful, visionary (laughs) reply, I just, I feel like such a doomsday sayer. But I do think that there's, I have taken such great harm learning from people who are not in white patriarchal dominant situations and to hear from people 
who believe that their cultures are already in the post-apocalyptic time, especially indigenous folks have already lived through their apocalypse um, with the colonization of land. And to see some of the strategies for resiliency, hope and for collaboration and connection through post-apocalyptic time is incredibly inspiring. So even though I'm, I'm a scientific doomsday sayer, I also really am thrilled to think about what comes after that. And I can't pretend that I can envision it. Um, I have learned a lot from studying Arctic biology about adaptation in something that can feel hostile can over time become home. Mm -hmm. And I wonder a lot about what that is going to be like that transition from hostility towards home again. So yeah, that's, that's sort of my vision. <laughs> Tyler, when you imagine the future, what does it look like? I've had the most time to think about it, but it still feels like a very hard question. Um, I would love to see a future where there is more shared understanding and reverence for things like water and that there is this shifting of priorities in terms of, um, yeah, extending, extending gestures of care and protection to the lands that are around us. And I would love a future where our capacity to um, engage with complexity increases and, and that maybe, again, sort of brings in more curiosity about, curiosity about our limitations and curiosity about our potentials to to collaborate across different knowledge systems, I think, and um, the word celebration is coming up too for me of like, <laughs> I would love a future where we get to celebrate more. Um, I love it, Tyler. I love it. I love it. I love it. I just want a future where we can all hang out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that feels really important and important and important aspect to just also healing being able to like um really stay in complexity and celebrate that <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. you know my hope too is that as we build with this constellation of artists that we can also keep expanding the role of the artists in terms of collaborating with people who are protecting ice and are protecting water and again just sort of keep keep building our our collective knowledge and understanding and capacity to to be with and protect the things that we really love For more information about the Anchorage Museum, visit anchoragemuseum.org. This podcast was produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum. This mini-series was curated and written by Erratics, a project by Nina Elder, Hannah Perrine Mode, and Tyler Ray. You can visit their work at erraticsproject.com. Music was produced by Keezy Baby.